Welcome, regular listeners and new, to the Dogs Programme here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. But, of course, more often these days, podcast on the www's. You could be listening to us in your truck or you could be listening to us on your internets at home. Um, it's great to have your company, whether you've got headphones on or not, because at 3 Community Radio, there is a program called The Dogs. What we do, and I'll try to explain this as quickly as I can for those people who've never heard of dogs before, we're not the sort of dogs you'd expect. We are the defenders of government schools, D-O-G-S. So if you're after tips on making sure your dog doesn't get fleas during COVID times, this is not the show for you. If you are wanting to find out about exactly what's going on with the rorts in funding in the Australian education system, which are designed to destroy the government school system of Australia, then you might get a little, a few tips and a few tips on that. Um, although rather than being polemic all the time, we do like to analyse and we're going to be doing a bit of that today because well, the coalition's committed $2 billion for training, which is a wonderful thing. Apparently, it has some conditions. And as I say, um, it's the devil in the detail. So let's, we'll be having a close look at that. Also, um, a good friend of the dogs, a fellow called Trevor Kobold, who used to be on the Productivity Commission, um, has written an interesting piece of work about funding in Australia. His position seems to be shifting. He is part of a group called Save Our Schools which um, defends government schools but takes a slightly less hard, a, a slightly softer position than us. When I say a slightly softer position, this is where it gets interesting. Here at 3CR, here on the DOGS program, we don't think that private companies should be given public money to educate children in Australia, and especially if public money is used to indoctrinate those children in particular and or peculiar religious precepts. So we don't think the government should have anything to do with who you believe in, in terms of where you go to church or what your beliefs are. They're your own and nothing to do with my taxes. So that's a description in a roundabout way of what we are here at the Dogs Program. But I'm sure for our regular listeners, you're sick and tired of me trying to describe what we are and you want me to get on to our world-famous press release. Because Jean, who's been on the Dogs program now for well over 30 years, has been putting out a press release for every show over that time. Which means there are 850 press releases available online at our website, www.adogs.info. But this one's not there. This one's a brand new one. This one relates to issues of the day. So, yes, there is a press release about issues of the day, back in the days of the dismissal um, and things like that. But this is for issues of today, and it relates a lot to what Trevor Cobalt was saying. So, without further ado, I'd like to pass you over right now to Jean, Jean Ely, Dr. Jean Ely, PhD, um, and her press release, number 850. Thank you, the other Dr. Robert Ely. Uh, this is the press release 850, and it will be going up on our website soon at www.adogs.info. The coalition government is sensitive about the shenanigans of private schools' expenditure of public money. When Turnbull claimed in his recent book 
that he and other politicians had been gullible in believing that Catholic systems would use their needs-based funding to support poor schools. He indicated that he and others had ignored incontrovertible evidence available to them that the church was misappropriating taxpayer funding from poor schools to support its schools in wealthy suburbs. Turnbull and others, including Labor, chose to turn a blind eye to it and they've done nothing about it for the last 60 years because the dogs know that it's been going on since ever they got public money given back to them in 1969. Now, the Catholic misuse of taxpayer funds, and it's not only the Roman Catholics who've been doing this, it's others as well has been highlighted by several reports in recent times. First of all, in 2009 and in 2017, the National Audit Office in Canberra was making noises. Then the Gonski Review in the 19, 2011, I'm sorry, the Victorian Auditor General, and there was a review of the New South Wales Catholic system by Catherine Greiner, who had been a member of the uh, Gonski Review and was herself a committed Roman Catholic. The Grattan Institute has also provided evidence that the Catholic systems have been allocating funding to schools in richer areas at the expense of those in poorer districts. And Save Our Schools and the Dogs have been blowing the whistle for a long time too. Now, we now have a very interesting report that has been produced. To protect themselves, the current Minister for Education, Dan Tien, and the Commonwealth Department of Education, in April 2019, this is only last year after they got rid of Birmingham, who, by the way, was making noises, definite noises about what was going on. This man, Dan Tien, in April 2019, requested a group that they had set up in 2015 called the Australian Government National School Resourcing Board. They asked that group to conduct a review of the needs-based funding requirements for approved system authorities under Section 78.5 of the Australian Education Act 2013. So this legislation that says that the funding given to the private schools should be needs-based and that the Education Department should be looking into this. So, the chairman of the committee is a public school graduate. She is a professor of education at the University of Tasmania. And the second person who is on this committee who wrote this report is a gentleman called Bill Daniels, who used to be the executive officer of the private school or the independent school so-called body council. He was a lobby group, and he was the second person. And the third person was a demographer, I think, from the University of New South Wales. 
But the actual report is is like most reports. There's a lot of pussyfooting language. But the most classic statement is on page, little page 333, here the, the Roman 3, and it's as follows. Nationally, there is a strong appetite for more clarity on the application of the needs-based funding requirements, particularly insofar as it relates to the flexibility systems have to develop their own needs-based funding arrangements, which I think is code for the people out there, the voters, are starting to tweet that something's wrong. And as well as that, there is the, this is the statement that's in this report. Additional guidance is required to support transparency of systems' needs-based funding arrangements, which I think is code for we better talk to the administrations of the Catholic Education Group and advise them that people aren't very happy about what they're doing. Now, dogs suggest that if Australia still has any semblance of responsible democratic governments, then accountability for the $310.3 billion in recurrent funding for schools, which is going to be given to these private, to private and public schools from 2018 to 2029, that's for the next decade, $310.3 billion, uh, we should, we should be looking to get some kind of accountability for that kind of money. And that money is only recurrent funding. It doesn't include capital or special purpose funding, nor does it include taxation expenditures in the form of taxation exemptions. Now, approximately two-thirds of that $310.3 billion current funding goes to one-third of Australian students in the private sector. So just stand back for a moment. I'm sorry to repeat it, but it's $310.3 billion over the next decade. That's our money. Contemplate those billions and the ever-increasing billions of taxpayer funds being diverted to prop up what is a failed business plan for educating Australian children, because the denominational system, the private system, only intends to and can only educate about a third. It is a selective system. The lack of transparency and the accountability in this sector, which has been exposed again and again in the last decade, is a national scandal. Now, although some of the recommendations of this review require greater transparency from the private systems, this review committee is still not questioning a principle they've come up with. It's the principle of subsidiarity. That is, that you can uh, subsidise and you can delegate responsibility for public money to service providers like the Catholic and the Anglican and the other churches and religious groups and they can distribute it according to their own needs-based criteria. They're subsidiaries 
of the government. Think about that. You have a church or churches which are subsidiaries Hmm. of the government. That sounds like a state within a state to me. But some of their recommendations may bring more facts and figures online for the perusal of concerned taxpayers and public school supporters like Trevor Cobald and ourselves. And Trevor Cobald from Save Our Schools has analysed this report also. And after the break, in a bit of music from Maritoni, Robert will be telling you what Trevor Cobalt has to say. 3CR is your station in solidarity and struggle. We've been with you since 1976 and we are here to stay. Throughout June, we're running a station appeal. We need the financial support of our listeners to stay independent, community-owned and radical. Jump online and give what you can. Go to 3cr.org.au.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Yeah, we've got a bit of Enrico Morricone. Uh, bless his soul. Um, he's passed away from this life, but he's left some wonderful music. A fistful of dollars there. Um, music to contemplate over $300 billion with. And also um, an encouragement to you there uh, to donate to us here at 3CR. Now, it's okay. You don't have to give over $300 billion to the station today. If you want to, that's fine, but that's certainly not what we're asking for. As Gene would often say, you can give sacrificially, which is that um, you give money you don't have to something you really care about. Or you can work out, I could do without that 20 bucks this week, so maybe I'll give it to 3CR so they can keep going and telling me things I don't know. Um, speaking of things you might not know, I'm happy to tell you what Trevor Coburn has thinks about this new report that Gene was, re- was, was referring to, written by these three interesting young people. Well, not all of them young, but certainly youngish. Trevor Cobalt says, and he doesn't usually say things like this, but he says the Catholic school system has been diverting taxpayers' funding from schools in poor areas to schools in wealthy inner suburbs for years. I was going to stop you there. That's at the time that that happened, that's technically a crime. So where's the lawyers? Where's the judges? Where's the legal system? Because we gave taxpayer money for a particular purpose for which it was not spent, and um, I want to know about it. But knowing this is Australia... And in Australia, there's, well, around the world, there's a rule. And the rule is if you go to a country, any new country, find out what you can't talk about at a middle-class dinner table and you'll find out where the corruption is in any culture, in any country. Just find a bunch of aspirational people trying to ape their better, sit down and eat with them, and what they don't talk about is what is corrupt. So they won't necessarily talk about how policing is done in the local neighbourhood. Or they might not talk about necessarily all the money that might or might not be going to various political parties. Well, they might not want to talk about religion, for instance, because it's a divisive topic. And in Australia, they certainly don't want to talk about where the money goes when it comes to religion and schooling. They're happy to talk about schools in Australia, but they don't want to talk about the fairness involved. Uh, They'll be talking about the schools that are best for their aspirational children. So I would suggest to you that the reason there aren't lawyers involved, because, as Trevor Cable categorically states, They've been diverting taxpayer money from schools in poor areas to schools in wealthy areas, which is against the law, is that that is one of our particular forms of Australian corruption. And he's not making it up. Many officials and reports over the years have documented this unethical and unchristian, this is interesting, unchristian practice. Well, I wouldn't want to comment on someone's religion, but I think he has a point. Um, I've read some bits of the Bible, and in those bits of the Bible, there's nothing about giving to giving to the rich to take for the poor. Um, I, there are some other bits which say the opposite. But as Trevor Cable says, and I mentioned last week, uh, this may at last be about to change. Catholic and other private schools will be placed under greater public scrutiny as a result of a new report, which Jean highlighted. The Commonwealth Government has accepted the recommendations the private school systems disclose more information about how they distribute government fault school funding to their schools. Now, this is fundamentally because, and I think it's important, Gene, that the listeners know, that when you fund a Catholic school in Australia, you don't fund the school. You fund the system. So it goes to, the money goes from the Treasury to a Catholic bureaucracy which then distributes the money to schools as it sees fit. Now, what you would expect, it would distribute the money as it, um, because it's applied for this money on the basis of need, um, it would distribute it as it said it was going to. 
But of course, what Trevor's pointing out is that nope, that's not been happening for years, not going to happen next year. Um, so what on earth is going on? Now, Commonwealth Government funding is supposed to be on a needs basis, which includes having a base amount per student and six disadvantaged potential loadings being publicly available and transparent, which is to say that there are six different poornesses you can be, and the poorer you are, the more taxpayers' money you get. Don't have a problem with that on the face of it, but the trouble is the money isn't going where they said they would put it. Now, past reports have shown that the Australian Department of Education has not met its responsibilities under the Act. So they're not going after the Catholic school system, they're going after the public education system at a higher level because they gave the money and then it didn't go to where the people said it was going to go, which I think is really interesting because the Australian Department of Education has a responsibility under the Act to follow where the money went, and it hasn't done that. In April 2019, the Commonwealth Minister for Education commissioned the review. That's back in the Birmingham days. And needs-based funding arrangements for school systems and recommendations action to improve the compliance. Now, its report, released just now, found that there was insufficient transparency on how it is the money goes. I mean, not only does Trevor Cobalt say it, not only has Auditor the General said it over the decades, but now this new report saying it. Now, it's also found that needs-based funding arrangements also vary within systems, particularly dun, 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 in the Catholic school system, where the relevant state-based Catholic Education Commission distributes fundings to get this to dioceses that are responsible. So the money isn't even distributed by the Catholic Education Office to the schools. There's a third level of bureaucracy, which is specifically and solely religious. It's the bishop. So the taxpayer money goes from the Catholic Education Office, which is a Catholic bureaucracy, which is then distributed to the bishops, because the bishops run the schools. Now, you might not have known that, you might not know that your local Catholic school is run by a bishop, but it is. It's only just recently they haven't been run by the priest because the priest running schools has been found in Australia to be a not very good idea. So that's something that many people wouldn't even know about, but that's fundamental to the way money, billions of dollars, has been distributed for decades. The report noted also there's no information about where the money goes. I can't find out. The Department, Federal Department of Education can't find out where the money goes and they can't be bothered to demand. So it's not even as though they haven't gone to look. When they go to look, the answer is no. We're not going to tell you how we're distributing our funding. We're doing it the best thing for the children, they'll say. Now go away and take your sectarian questions with you because you're just being anti-Catholic and you should stop it and let us spend all of your money the way we want, said the bishops. Um, that's actually fundamentally what's going on. It is that simple, which is why no one talks about this at dinner tables in Australia, because it's just, you can't say that with a straight face and not call the cops. Now, this transparency, of course, would support accountability and publicly available arrangements create an evidence base about the different approaches. Now, Trevor Cobalt, ever even-handed, saying, well, maybe they're doing brilliant things. Who knows? I don't. 
maybe the way they're distributing money is better than what was what was allocated by the government. We don't know because we don't know because there is no transparency. So we need to know just so that when they say, oh, what we're doing is better anyway, is a truth rather than just a cover-up for them bishops spending the money the way they wants to, which, again, I take you back to the middle class in the party, not something you talk about. Now, the report recommended exactly what Jean was saying, which is to say maybe a bit more transparency might be nice, please, um, except they didn't quite go that far. Um, they used other words, which Jean told you about, which are weasel words, I suggest. Actually, what were the words? Oh, that's right. There's a strong appetite for more clarity on the application of needs-based funding requirements, particularly insofar as it relates to the flexibility systems have to develop their own needs-based funding arrangements. Those were the harsh words they had for the Catholic Education Office. I just think this is fascinating. The fact that Trevor Cable's onto it like this, I think, is, abs- is absolutely interesting. He's come a long way towards the dog's, pro- dog's position, which is, well, if they don't have any money, then um, they can't fraudulently use it. So let's not give them any money. And if they can't run a school, then um, that's okay. We'll just take it over and nationalise it and run it ourselves because in Australia, running state schools is becoming cheaper for the taxpayer, cheaper for the taxpayer than running private schools. Because it always was, Robert. It always was. But <laughs> obviously, even for a middle-class dinner party, it's obvious that it's cheaper. Now, the report recommended, of course, that the department publish the information and block the allocation provided. Um, it, at present, the reports are not publicly available. Indeed, the department has denied requests from Save Our Schools and from the dogs for the full report. So even these people with their ways of the words, they won't let us see what's actually in the entire report within itself, which is just... I don't know. There's right and there's wrong. And this is one of those reasons why I get up in the morning and do the talks program, because this is just, well, you know, Gene will talk about imperio, imperium, imperio, state within a state, and separation of this is, this is actually just corruption. Hmm. Hmm. This is actually taking money from poor people and giving it to rich people. It's and rotting. Quite frankly, it's rotting. It's rotting in a pandemic. In the middle of a plague, this just continues on. In fact, they scream and say, oh, we need more money from the government because we have a right to run our private schools, private businesses. And you go, well, no, you don't. I mean, do you enrol everyone who comes to your gate, poor or rich, black or white? No, you don't because you're a private school. You say, no, you won't have you. Oh, oh, are you disabled? No. Are you behaviourally challenging? No, 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 no. I I don't think your needs, your educational needs will be best met by our establishment, they'll say. I won't say no, by the way, because they use these words as well. If ever you hear the phrase at the school gate, spoken to a child, no, your educational needs are best met elsewhere, then you know that is no way. Get out of here, kid. You're not for us. You're not our type. And you're not the type that sits around listening at middle-class dinner tables anyway, so we don't want you along. I'm being a bit harsh on this, but the report itself is the beginning of something. There's always the beginning of something. I think it's going to take off. 
not because of what Trevor Cobol says, which is about more information, but because there's going to be a very large number of dinner parties with aspirational people who have no money. And when they want their kids to get a good education, they will turn to the state school system and they will be shocked. And when they are shocked, they will tell someone and they'll tell a lot of people and they'll vote. And they'll vote for the first political party that says state schools are the premier education system in Australia. They must be and they have to be. If you wish to separate your child out from the state school system, you are welcome to do that. It will not impinge upon your rights or your freedoms or your religious liberties, but we will not subsidise your choices. As soon as they do that, they're going to win an election because once we're through this covid time, there's going to be a lot of people with not a lot of money and a lot of schools that will refuse to put their fees down because their fees define themselves as businesses. A cheap school is a rubbish school. A cheap school you don't send your child to. An expensive school is a good school, but I can't afford to send my child to it. They will be between a rock and a hard place. That is what I predict. But having said that, I think we should continue with our Morricone theme, truth to tell. Enrico Morricone, I like his music. I think, I think we'll have something a bit calming now because I've been a bit grumpy. I think something from the mission, one of the most famous I don't know one of those pieces is almost more famous than Jesus. Everyone knows this. So have a listen.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Now we have an interesting article. It's actually by Peter Lewis in The Guardian, in the Australian edition there. Um, it's about the stimulus package and about the good things and the bad things about it. I'm going to pass over for more details on this to our lucky, intrepid uh, reporter um, out there, Dale. Uh, can you tell us some more? Thanks, Robert. Yes, I've got an article from The Guardian um, by Peter Lewis. It's titled, Forget the Blokes with Shovels. Shouldn't stimulus go to nurses and teachers? Workers who guide our kids into the world and care for us when we are ill are still not fully valued. This must change. There's a direct line that runs from the harassment allegations against a retired High Court judge and the emergency ward of a local hospital that bears scrutiny. It starts with an elite profession charged with enforcing the law where women routinely feel compelled to endure the unwanted attentions of powerful men and wends its way through the economy and our broader society by devaluing the caring professions. It's a thread that seems invisible to half the population but is glaringly obvious to the other half. It is such a th- it is as such it threatens to trip and entangle those who can't see it while having the potential to weave something transformative for those who do. And like so much of our world in in the context of the pandemic, we may be at a moment of recalibration because results in this week's Guardian Essential report suggest the community is ready to start acknowledging the value of work in professions where women dominate. After experiencing up close and personal the work of teachers and seeing the way nurses were deployed to the front line of the health crisis, there is strong support across the partisan divide, for increasing the wages for these professionals. In stark contrast, next to no one believes that lawyers and bankers need additional largesse. Indeed, they believe their contribution to society is overvalued. These findings are telling as we ponder pandemic economics, which have some dubbed the pink recession, as the sting in the shutdown hits the tourism, hospitality, service and retail sectors where women are disproportionately represented. Yet the government's initial response to stimulating the economy has tilted to the blokes with home renovations and shovel-ready construction, risking further skewing the gender impact of the slowdown. An alternative government approach would be to invest into the caring professions, spending not just to create secure employment, but to fill pre-existing gaps in the labour market. Even before the pandemic, there were serious shortages in aged care and disability care, with the shortage filled by visa workers. Directly employing more caring workers, and critically paying them more, would generate every bit as much stimulus as a tunnel or a new deck. Indeed, Rather than keeping someone employed for the life of the project, they would be employing someone for the project of improving life. Take early learning. We know that higher trained, higher skilled workers will grow curious little learners who will become thriving adults, returning a 200% dividend on the two-year investment. In a bear market, that's some rate of return. We also know that the value proposition driving the NDIS is to support people with a disability and adds to the nation's productivity, supporting them in the workforce. Mandating investment behind a skilled workforce would not only create jobs now, it would deliver on this promise. 
It all comes down to recognising the value of human connection, not just the mechanics, but the emotional skills, the creativity, the attributes traditionally associated with women's work. Laid out in these terms, it appears a no-brainer. While there is a strong majority support for the idea that men and women in the same position should receive equal pay, attitudes cleave on the proposition of whether gender equality has been achieved, with a 20-point gap between men and women. A similar split holds in attitudes in the question of whether the idea of gender equality has gone far enough. Hold the pressures. Blokes don't see gender inequality. But that's not my point. These results illustrate how the question of gender can lock in a status quo that threatens to nobble a more rational response to the economical crisis. People see what they experience and absent in inf an influx of blokes into the caring profession, Facing a wage recalibration on purely gender arguments will meet an inevitable black backlash. Which brings me back to the judiciary and its allegedly handsy patriarchs. Beyond the obvious criminality, this behaviour shows how an entire industry can regard young female workers as less than fully human. And while, of course, this is about gender, it's also about economic power. It's about devaluing humanity the same way as workers who guide our kids into the world and care for us while ill and see us through our final years, are not fully valued. They are defined by their tasks, as if there's no greater economic value, economic benefit derived from their, their labours. What I'm clumsily trying to say is this. I don't think we get to properly value caring work by pursuing the issue purely through a gender lens. The easiest way to divide working people is to get them lined up against each other along arbitrary lines when the real battle is the economic system that turns a blind eye to their experience and contribution. Recognising that those working in hospitals and schools and nursing homes and early learning centres are delivering a value surplus to their employers and the community transforms the issue from one of gender to one of class. And only from here can a hard-headed revaluing of care begin in earnest? And that's, that's an article that was by Peter Lewis in The Guardian. And there's some charts, some questions and answers from people about the gender pay gap. And yeah, that, that, the numbers prove his point about, um, yeah, about the majority of men not thinking there's a problem in the first place. But, um, yeah. That was to be expected. Okay, we'll have a quick break and we'll be right back. You've been listening to the Dogs program and here's some more Morricone. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on AM Dial. Thank you very much, Dale. Intrepid report there. Um, reading newspapers and telling us all about it. It's, it's actually, yeah, we've been talking about Australian culture today. I mean, we've been really talking about the underlying problems that exist in this country, which is what you shouldn't do on community radio, as far as I'm concerned. But Australia's not the only country in the world. In the United States, um, during these covidness times, it's a bit of a mess. In fact, in uh, Detroit, in Michigan, um, when it comes to schools, what's happening is that a particular school board has ordered the children and the teachers to go back to school in the middle of a pandemic, which is nothing like the pandemic here in Australia. It is hundreds, tens of thousands of people. Over a have died. Three million people are suffering from the disease. This is shocking business. Anyway, this board made this decision, but they made the mistake of leaving a teacher um, on the um, Zoom meeting. And I'm sure everyone here knows what a Zoom meeting is now. It's a meeting on the internet where you don't have to be there. Um, and it's fascinating because after she'd been told this, this, this was her contribution to the school board. I'd just like you to have a listen to this. All right, so the meeting started with a statement, and um, the chairperson stated that students come first. And I think it's funny that you're telling teachers that students come first when students come first for teachers uh, pretty much throughout the school year. They come first when we are spending our own money to buy school supplies. They come first when we are reporting to buildings that are underfunded in conditions that are not adequate to their own learning. Our students even come first when we are reporting to work knowing that we are underpaid compared to the teachers in the surrounding districts. And so to state that students come first to educators when we know that our students come first, first and foremost for me was just a tad bit insulting. However, comma, um, I wanted to ask you, do and should our students' lives come first over our own lives? Should our students' safety come before our own safety? And how can the board, how can Dr. Vitti, how can the Secretary of Education, how can the governor of the state of Michigan, how can the president of the United States to ask teachers to once again make a sacrifice to put our students before us? When do we take a stand and when do we come, not even first, when do we at least come second? When are teachers considered? We know that we're going to be underpaid. We know that we're going to be overworked. We know that we're going to be underappreciated in the work that we do. However, we are not prepared to die to return to school in the fall. And so I think that some of the rhetoric around this conversation is that there's this concern about students and their education. We're concerned about students falling behind, when in reality, we all know that's not the truth. The real concern is that we are afraid that if students do not return to school, their parents cannot return to work. And if their parents cannot return to work, this economy cannot, this economy cannot reopen. And so you are asking teachers to sacrifice their health, their family's health, to return to work in conditions that we know are not safe. And if these conditions are so safe, then please ask me or answer this question. Why are we holding this board meeting via Zoom and not in person if it's safe to return? Thank you. Well, yeah, um, I just like to say that that woman says it all as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Respect, respect. What do you reckon, Dale? Well, there's a lot of parallels to what's happening in Australia because public schools are being told that they have to go back, yet there is no hygiene fund for public schools, but there's like a $3.4 billion hygiene fund for private schools. 
And the private schools have refused to go back. But the public teachers have been ordered to put their lives on the line. So it's very, it's a similar situation. I think she said it all when she said, you're asking us to die for your economy. Um, because the plain fact of the matter is that you want us to go back so the children can go back, so that people can go to work. Uh, because you're putting money and economy, uh, the, above the, the lives, not only of our students, but of us as well. And what about our families, she say? Yeah. Well, I, I have mean, I have this with, with police people as well. They have to go out there. There's 19 policemen and women in Victoria who've caught COVID because they've got to do the tests. I mean, seriously, you know, um, teachers, police people, and well, I mean, what can you say about the health workers? They're amazing, especially now in Victoria. It's just, it's extraordinary. I'm, I'm going to talk about a great state school now, but it's about this as well because at the moment there's a place called Al Taqwa College in the west of Melbourne. Now Al Taqwa College is a private school, and hundreds of children, and almost I think it's about 30 teachers have been have contracted the disease from this one school, which is a tragedy. And I don't actually really care that they're private or not, but what I do want to talk about is the state school next door because there is a state school next door, and they are a great school. I want you to tell. I want to tell you about the state school next door to our type of college. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great. Schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. <laughs> Today's going to briefly talk about a school called Hoppers Crossing Secondary College because there's a lot of kids that go to Hoppers Crossing Secondary College that are brothers and sisters with kids that go to Al Taqwa College. Also, they live in the same place. I mean, out there in the West, at Hoppers Crossing Secondary College, 5% come from the richest families in Australia. 80% come from the poorest backgrounds in Australia. ICSI of is 968, which is, you know, a fair bit below 1,000. It is not a wealthy area. It is not a wealthy school. 44% of the kids come from a language background other than English, which we know affects raw marks when it comes to NAPLAN and stuff like that. And, you know, of course, how much money is spent on these kids? Well, there's $14,000 a year spent on these kids, which is below, below, significant below what's needed to acquire a gold standard education for a bunch of kids in Australia who come from poor families because it is a tragedy in Australia. And I'm going to say it again, it is a disgrace in Australia that children who come from poor families are not as well educated by our systems as children from wealthy families. And it's the most significant, most significant factor when it comes to predicting educational outcomes. That in itself is disgusting. This is a large school out there at Hoppers Crossing. I mean, there's 118 teaching staff. There are, in terms of students, and I find this amazing, there are, in terms of students, over 1,500 kids out there. Now, they're not closed down. They have to soldier on like those poor people in Michigan, whereas round the corner there's this, there's this tragedy of holding. Those kids should just go home. Those kids should just look after themselves and so should those teachers. But they do what they're told because they are a great state in school out there at Hoppers Crossing Secondary College. They're working through this. Do you know what? I think there should be a moratorium on NAPLAN for 2020. I don't think, I don't really even care what the results kid gets, kids get in the exams at the end of this year. They got through the year. Yeah. alive, yeah. and that's a pass mark because that's what it's turning out to be. Mm. 
And I said, oh, but that's not even fair. I said, I don't care. The world's not fair anymore, is it? Mm. Who lives, who dies? I mean, those poor kids at Altaqua College. But again, those kids at Hoppers Crossing Secondary College just across the road. What makes them special? They're state school kids. Okay, they are actually pretty special because they come from a great state school. So Hoppers Crossing Secondary College, all I can offer you, because I'm not a religious man, all I can offer you is my best wishes and the best of luck. I'm starting to become a bit Chinese about luck at the moment. Um, it's, it's, it's a force in this world, and if it is a force in this world, maybe if, maybe may luck be a force to protect you out there at Hoppers Crossing Secondary College. You're an amazing bunch of teachers and cleaners and kids and parents. So well done, Hoppers Crossing State School. There's something really important we have to do. We've got a bit of time left, and this is a message that we here at the Dogs Programme need to get out. Is that right, Doug? Yes, absolutely. It's important that we touch on this. Angela Gabrielatis uh, from New South Wales Teachers Federation has uh, put out a press relief um, on black lives and what really matters. We shouldn't be importing the things that are happening overseas to Australia. Such was Prime Minister Scott Morrison's response question about Black Lives Matter protest march in Sydney on 2nd of June. Of course, he was being interviewed by conservative radio commentator Ray Hadley, whose followers had complained about the march. And Mr Morrison did add, I'm not saying we don't have issues in this space. Is that an oblique reference to Aboriginal deaths in custody? Or was it referring to racial profiling by police? Or perhaps racism in general? For the sake of accuracy and context, Mr Morrison's full statement was, I'm not saying we don't have issues in this space that we need to deal with, but the thing is, we are dealing with it and we don't need to draw equivalence here. Well, Australia has issues and it isn't alone. None of the colonial powers has a glowing record when it comes to the treatment of the peoples they displaced from lands so-called discovered under their flags. Few have a clean sheet either when it comes to the treatment of subsequent migrants, refugees and asylum seekers, new arrivals to their shores and across their borders. The unrest in the US after the death of George Floyd at the hands of four Minneapolis policemen has held a mirror to injustice, inequity and division around the world. Those who are fortunate enough to have the individual power to do so are exercising their right to gather, march and chant against injustices in their own setting, with a nod to George Floyd. The reflection that this mirror invites in Australia has myriad facets. It invites reflection on the plight of our First Peoples. Australia has the opportunity to literally rewrite history, tell our our children the truth that have been whitewashed down the generations about what happened at the hands of the settlers and their descendants up until the present. At the same time, it is an opportunity to address the contrivance of terra nullius and its inherent dismissal of the First Peoples' link with this land which has been under their care for the past 60,000 years or more. Mr Morrison contends we are dealing with it. But... Perhaps he should not wear those rose-coloured spectacles when he receives the next Close the Gap annual report, with its glaring data emphasising how wide that gap is. Perhaps he should have a closer read of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, considering the unconscionable wave of the the hand it received from the Turnbull government. That mirror may also allow reflection on how this country treats asylum seekers and people displaced from their homes and families through no fault of their own, other than being from the wrong religion, social grouping, political persuasion, or through outright fear. Even those who gain a toehold in this country are not immune from derision and contempt. 
the finger pointing at a crime wave caused by so-called Sudanese gangs in Melbourne springs to mind. This ugly aspect also raised its head during the early days of COVID when those of Asian background were abused and vilified for no other reason than their appearance. Australia is a multicultural land and there's no going back. We're a society where there's no room for the politics of division, the politics of fear, xenophobia and racism. During these difficult and complex times, it is incumbent upon us to engage in these critical debates and I would strongly reassert the view that the key to a vibrant, social, cohesive, multicultural democracy is education. That is, an education by and through the inclusive, universally accessible, secular, local, neighbourhood, public school. There's, it goes on, but we are running out of time. Do you know what? The words of a good state school, he's the president of the Teachers Federation in New South Wales. Why is he talking about it? Because he's got to the heart of the matter right there. This stuff, and by the way, treaty, straight, straight away solves a lot of problems. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's that. But straight away, this schooling and how our children are put together to learn is the most critical political question in Australia today. Because if you want to look at when it goes wrong, all you've got to do is cross the Pacific, and that's what happens when you fail to educate your population. Well, that's it for the dog program. Um, if you want to get hold of us, you can at our website, www.adogs.info, or at 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. 3CR keeps going, but we do need your help. 3CR keeps going. It is necessary. It is not one of those frippery things that the world needs. It is a necessary thing, and we'll have to be here next week because government schools are all defending once more. So bye from Dale, bye from me, Rob, and bye from Jean as well. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, here ten years dead I never died, says he, I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed, they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I Killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes. Says Joe, what they can never kill Went on to organize Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill Yeah.
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.